to the Al Dente podcast. Today, I'm joined by AUDSS Pubs Gen Com member and BDS3 student Delina Lai, and we have an absolute stellar guest. Her accreditations and awards give us a glimpse of her knowledge, passion, and altruism. She is the 2022 South Australian Young Australian of the Year, 2021 South Australia Young Achiever of the Year, President-elect of Australia New Zealand Academy of Special Needs Dentistry, Consultant at the Special Needs Dentistry Unit at the Adelaide Dental Hospital, South Australian representative for the Disability Oral Health Collaboration, and one in 24 special needs dentists in Australia, and one in five special needs dentistry specialists in South Australia. It's Dr. Trudy Lin. So my first question is, how many hours of sleep do you get each night, Dr. Lin? <laughs> That's your first question. Um, I, still, I still aim to try and get um, at least eight hours of sleep, but certainly there are some <laughs> busy times of the year in which probably I average six to seven. Yeah. That's, still, still, that's still pretty still good. Yeah. Sleep. Like otherwise I can't function. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Me too, unfortunately. Yeah. <laughs> oh my goodness. Okay. So the, our first question, the first official question is what made you decide to specialize in special needs dentistry? Yeah, well, that's a really logical place to start, isn't it? Um, so I guess I'll start with how I actually developed my passion for dentistry as a career in the first place. So it, it came from watching my father struggle with tetracycline staining of his teeth. He really hated the way his smile looked and he was so afraid of people judging him um, that it really led to him being quite socially isolated, having low confidence and self-esteem. So from a young age, I saw how teeth were not only important for your general health, but how they could be a real barrier to you living the life that you wanted to lead from being able to get a job, having good mental health and just feeling like you belong. So I entered dental school with like this burning passion and I wasn't actually considering specialising into any branch of dentistry because I wanted to be skilled in all aspects of general dentistry. I really wanted to be a dentist that could look after my patients during their entire dental journey from start to finish. So if I extracted their teeth, I wanted to be able to make their dentures too and give them their complete smile back. So really the only specialty that was on my radar at the time because I wasn't aware of special needs dentistry was paediatrics because you get to do all aspects of general dentistry but on a specific population. But while I enjoyed like looking after children, I also knew that I didn't want to be limited to only caring for children because I went into this career really wanting to look after any person that made it to my dental chair. You know, no matter their age, their gender, race, cultural background, medical background, you know, people with cancer, people with disabilities, people who have dental phobia, because I really strongly believe that every person deserves access to oral health care. And it's a basic human right for people to have the ability to eat, to speak and to smile and not have their teeth hindered them from being able to get a job, making friends and living their best life. And so this is how I realised that special needs dentistry was the perfect specialty for me because it basically equips me with the skills to say yes to any person that needed my help. So when I heard about special needs dentistry being offered as a final year rotation, I signed up straight away and I loved it. Um, and I think another aspect that really drew me to it is because I have family members who have battled against cancer and my youngest brother, Aaron, has autism, their experiences really helped me connect with and empathise with the challenges that my patients are facing outside of their oral health. And so that really showed me that this is where my dentistry can make the most impact and the most difference. So I decided that I wanted to specialise because I went into the field wanting to make the biggest impact that I could. That's incredible. Yeah, I feel like a lot of the fourth years that I've been talking to as well now, as we get exposed to everything, we're like, oh my gosh, I like this. I like endo, but I also like yeah. prose. And it's just like, like, oh, it's so hard because once you specialise, you can really only do that. That's right. You're limiting right. your scope. And so that's, that's exactly why the only specialty that was on my radar was peds because that's the only one that lets you do all of dentistry. But just so all of you fourth years out there that don't want to limit your scope to one, you know, specific dental um, procedure, special needs dentistry and peds are the two that you should choose. 
Yeah, that's awesome. Like we haven't, I think next next term we'll have some um, lectures by Professor Liberali. Yes. Um, so that's when we'll start really delving into special needs dentistry. Yeah, which is great because once you get a taste of it, hopefully a lot of you will want more and more. <laughs> yeah, oh my gosh, I'm so excited. Okay. <laughs> So um, after deciding that you wanted to specialise in it, could you also just talk a bit about what was your pathway to becoming a special needs dentistry specialist? Oh, yes. So, <clears throat> so I completed the special needs unit rotation in my final year, as I mentioned before, um, and that I basically got to spend the whole day every Thursday looking after special needs patients. And Thursday like became my favourite day of the week. Um, getting that hands-on experience, looking after the special needs patients really showed me that this is definitely what I wanted to pursue. So I basically like made a plan and got to work straight away. Um, I graduated and then completed my primary exams in my first year out, given that that's a box that you need to tick for specialty training. And then I actually got a job working as a general dentist in the special needs unit the year after that. Yeah. So I didn't waste any time. <laughs> Um, so I worked there for two years, just gaining more experience, looking after um, special needs patients as a general dentist, and then started my three-year doctor of clinical dentistry, which is the specialist training, and completed that in 2020. Oh, gosh. Wow. Well, congratulations. It's so nice how um, you knew, like, you wanted to do special needs, like, right from rotations. And then everything you've done since then has just been about special needs, like, practicing and, like, a special needs unit. It's just, like, it's all been, like, you're really, like, kind of, like, a one-track mind. <laughs> very passionate. Like, it's, it's a good thing. Like, Yeah, well, I think um, once I knew, I think what happened was because I got that rotation where I was hands-on in the clinic seeing exactly what it was going to be like if I decided to become a specialist that just made the decision really simple for me because I was already practicing in the job that it was going to be later so that really helped me kind of cement my decision mm, okay so just just a small question so like those Thursdays as a fifth year is mm. that like basically like you weren't shadowing at all? You were actually like operating? On yeah, them? yeah. I was actually treating the patients and I had my own dental assistant and I was treatment planning those patients, seeing them. I think the great thing about being there for that entire year was that I got to see them through their entire dental journey during that whole year. Um, and so that was something that taught me a lot and made me, you know, again, like form that connection with patients and realize that this is what I really want to do. Oh, that's mm -hmm. awesome. Yeah. So anyone that's interested and thinks that special needs dentistry, um, you know, might be something they're interested in, I definitely recommend like trying to get some hands-on experience looking after those patients to help you decide whether it's for you. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. Oh, my gosh. That sounds like such an invaluable experience. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. So our next question is, um, what do you enjoy the most as a special needs dentistry specialist? <laughs> um, well, like, it's like, where do I begin? Mm. Although I guess like the question is actually asking what do you enjoy the most? So if I'm answering what I enjoy the most, it's because it's so rewarding. Mm. Like, because special needs dentistry involves, you're looking after people who face many challenges in their lives presented by their circumstance, you know, something that was completely out of their control. So it might be their disability or a medical diagnosis like cancer. So the difference that you can make through helping them with their oral health is so powerful and so profound because everything that you do makes a huge impact. So like I told you, I like to tell stories. So um, I'll tell you the story about I have this patient who has autism and who would never let a dentist touch him because he has a lot of sensory sensitivities and he could only have treatment under general anaesthetic. When I first met him, I actually remember saying, oh, wow, you've got a really fashionable haircut because he has one head of his, um, one side of his head shaved short and the other side long. And his mum said, oh, actually, his hair's like that because the hairdresser started cutting his hair and then he couldn't sit through the whole thing. Oh, <laughs> that just, oh, wow. just paints a picture of how sensitive he is to touch and um, oh. personal space and things like that. So over eight months, I worked with him and his mum 
until one day, finally, he sat in the dental chair and he was able to have a full mouth clean. Now, for a general dentist, a clean might not sound like it's a big deal or make a huge impact to that person. But for this person, it was life-changing. In fact, it was literally life-saving as well because cleaning his teeth potentially saved him from a premature death caused by aspiration pneumonia from inhaling the dental plug or the calculus. And desensitizing him to cleaning now prevents the need for future repeated general anesthetics, preventing unnecessary medical risk, but also all that stress that causes his parents. And desensitizing him to cleaning has now helped him reach other milestones in his life outside of dentistry. You know, after he could sit and have his teeth cleaned, he was finally able to get the second half of his hair cut. (laughs) (laughs) I think he actually looked cuter with the half haircut, but anyway. Um, And like desensitizing him to the clean even helped him learn how to speak. So one of the strategies that I used like throughout that eight months of desensitizing was I really tried to help him understand why we needed to clean his teeth in a way that he could understand. So I would say to him things like, we need to get these bugs off your teeth and show them the bugs. Otherwise, you could inhale them and become very sick. And your mum and I would get really, really worried. And So then I would say things like that to him every time we were desensitizing him. And then eventually one day his mum told me one night when she was brushing his teeth, he said to her, get them bugs out. And she started to cry because it was the first full sentence he had said in his entire life. Oh, my God. Yeah. So in special needs dentistry, everything you do makes a huge impact. Like when I'm looking after a patient who's just been diagnosed with cancer and they're going through the most challenging time of their life, you know, your care, your little words of kindness, your little acts of kindness, the time that you spend listening to them can mean the world to them. And every now and then I have like this meta moment where I get to hear just how much of an impact my words and actions have had on a patient and how special these relationships with my patients are to them. So, for example, like one of my patients who has had tongue cancer was saying to me that, oh, I was talking to my friends about you the other day and how much you've helped me. And they said, wow, I would never think of my dentist as someone I could pour my life story to. So that just goes to show that like, Special needs dentistry is so much more than just looking after teeth. It's about looking after the person the teeth belong to. And the people that you are looking after are people that are facing many, many challenges in their lives. And, you know, I, I feel like there is nothing that compares to that feeling you get when you know that you've really helped someone. Like, I think of all the best things that people believe this life has to offer, you know, like money, travel, food, (laughs) but nothing can compare to that feeling that I get when making a lasting difference in someone's life. And that's what I love most about my job. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Wow, that's so – that's such an incredible story to hear. Like (laughs) – I told you that telling story. (laughs) Like, I had no idea that – yeah, I didn't even realise, like, like the patients that I see at like um, ADH, um, they have pretty severe like dental issues, mm-hmm. but like it's nothing to the extent of that. And and even like sometimes like the other day, like my patient, um, I was at oral diagnosis and um, I had a patient who came in with like fractured teeth mm-hmm. and I fixed his um, fractured teeth, the incisors. And even now I'm still thinking about that. I'm like, oh, it looks so good after. But that's like nothing to the to the level that like special needs dentistry specialists see and do actually. Yeah, well, I would argue with you mm-hmm. to say that what you did and what you provided to that person was just as important as the work that I do. Um, you know, it's just that it's like because of the fact that we're looking after, you know, very vulnerable populations where, you know, dentistry is just one of many other challenges that they're facing in their life, mm-hmm. you helping to take that one thing off their very full plate you know, actually makes like just it just makes the impact even greater than what you can even imagine. And 
Yeah. So I think like that's really what, what I love most about my job is that, you know, I get to, you know, have this privilege of helping people, but because of the fact that I'm helping people that are going through so much more outside of the dentistry, the dentistry makes like this exponential impact. And that's just such a privilege. I'm sure it must be like really rewarding to like for both you um, and the patient to have like such an impact on like the development and like their milestones and all that. But um, just moving on from that, what instead of what you've enjoyed the most, what has surprised you the most? Now, practicing <laughs> yeah, what surprised <laughs> me the most? Um, um, so I would say like what surprised me the most is probably something that relates to to myself like um practicing as a specialist and I feel like I've always wholeheartedly kind of thrown myself into my cause of like caring for the most vulnerable people in our community um so what surprised me is that it's really challenged me to evolve in ways that I never really imagined was possible so like for example um like as you've heard in my bio like um with some of the awards I've won, like I'm not actually a person that really likes attention or being in the spotlight. So <laughs> you can imagine my horror when like suddenly I was thrown into this national spotlight. Like, you know, there was the Achiever of the Year Award and then straight after that, like the Young Australian of the Year Award. Um, and, I, and I still remember like getting the phone call telling me that I was just no- nominated um and I like did not tell anyone about it and kept it completely secret until it was released in the media and then the floodgates opened um and I felt extremely uncomfortable like I didn't want the award or the recognition I was just doing the best I could for my patients because that's what I wanted to do so I kept thinking should I really be awarded for just doing something that I love and am passionate about But I also knew that one of my missions in life was to leave, like, so this is my philosophy, is that I want to leave the biggest dent that I can in my part of the universe. And the awards brought this platform for me to advocate for oral health care, for the vulnerable people I'm looking after, and for inclusion. And so as uncomfortable as I felt, I decided I would take on that responsibility to be the voice for my patients who cannot speak up for themselves so I can make their invisible struggles more visible and on a national scale. So I have really taught myself to feel comfortable with being uncomfortable because it's not about me. It's about the people that I'm trying to help. And as long as I keep focusing on my cause that's bigger than myself, like I guess what's really surprised me is that it's made me really brave (laughs) like brave and it it helps me persist through some challenges that I never thought that I'd be able to take on Mm. yeah just speaking of those challenges actually I'm sure that being a special needs dentistry specialist comes with its own respective challenges would you just explain um, (laughs) specifically some of the challenging aspects of being a special needs dentistry specialist like I would imagine maybe ergonomics or like communication just anything like yeah yeah I mean I would say that special needs dentistry um there's a lot of challenges for sure. Like ergonomics is definitely one that's a little bit difficult to navigate around. Um, but like, I guess, and this would be different for all the different specialists um, because we're all different people. But for me personally, um, what I find the most challenging is the emotional aspect. So the emotional weight that comes with looking after vulnerable people. So in our specialty, we'll be looking after people who may have experienced domestic violence or see people with disability who have experienced abuse or neglect. And I still find it very upsetting when my patients who have cancer pass away. So there are certainly some very, very challenging and tough days. Um, But on those tough days, I tell myself that just because you feel called to do this work, it doesn't mean that it's going to be easy. And you know, this this challenging side of it is also what makes the work so meaningful. Um, so I try to focus on the fact that one of my privileges of being a special needs dentistry specialist is that I get to have these meaningful connections with people from all walks of life. And 
it continually shapes me into a more understanding, more inclusive and compassionate person. But with more compassion comes more heartache as well. Mm. So while it's definitely challenging to suffer the emotional consequences that comes with being connected to my patients, it has also taught me to lean into experiencing all of life and embracing all sides of it. So before I talked about embracing being uncomfortable in the same way, like though I have experienced a fair share of pain vicariously through looking after my patients, I have also seen the most beautiful sides of humanity, you know, the resilience of the human spirit, the purpose and the meaning that people attribute to their suffering and how they can look beyond themselves to their loved ones and their communities. Um, so I just feel so grateful for what they've taught me about how to live a meaningful and purposeful life for myself um, and learning that pain the pain that life brings is beautiful as well it's because life is finite that is what makes it so precious and so i've learned that you can't have light without the dark light will always cast a shadow and when you have those lows the lo the lows are actually what makes the highs even more special mm -hmm. so yeah i definitely won't shy away from saying that it is definitely a challenging field to work in but you know, I've also made the choice that the challenge is something that I'm willing to face. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, like that special needs dentistry just sounds incredible. Like I feel like, like at least from what I've experienced, um, like you can't really say that for um, a lot of the stuff that I've done so far with general dentistry and stuff like that, like learning about um, just like the resilience of patients and, mm -hmm. and meeting just so many um, different people who have just gone through so many tough things, but still, um, yeah, like just, and, and the patients being able to teach you so much as well. Yes. Yeah. I have learned so much from my patients and I'm so grateful. They have shaped the person that I am today. Like I wouldn't be who I am and where I am today without them. Um, and as much as I certainly give a lot in my role and in my, um, to my patients, but I still feel like that's nothing compared to what they've given me in return. It's really nice to see how you can kind of like turn those like challenges around and kind of like use it to just better yourself as a special needs dentistry specialist and then use that to also like better like your patient's health and stuff. Mm -hmm. And yeah, yeah. Just like not let it kind of like, um, kind of um, just take over you and just not to get like, so, um, hung over them and not to back away from challenges. It's really nice to see you kind of just like use that to move Oh, forward. thank you. Yeah. It's been a bit of a learning process though. Like definitely, um, definitely learning and having the support of other people. Um, yeah, it's not something that has developed overnight. I remember when I first started working as a general dentist in the unit, it would take me a long time to kind of bounce back from my patient passing away, like I remember the very first cancer I diagnosed, recurrence I diagnosed on a cancer patient, I was just beside myself for days. But then I guess like eventually you build up that resilience um, and also am, am inspired by the resilience of my patients that then eventually you end up picking yourself back up because you're so focused on, you know, being there for your next patient. Yeah, but it's definitely taken me time to be able to build up to this level. Yeah, and I still have, like, my days as well. So I'm sure most specialists can also relate to that sentiment too. Right Evans Partners, the dental, accounting and finance specialists. Our people are here to assist you in every step of your career. Whether you're a student, dentist or business owner, we have the tools and the experience to see you succeed. Our dental graduate program provides you with a complimentary tax return or business activity statement and a financial health check to help you kickstart your career. Contact us today via our website, Facebook and Instagram or on 8208 4777 to start planning your financial future. WEP, with you every step of the way. Okay, that, okay so just moving on to our next question. So I heard that you self-funded and developed a residential facility for people living with special needs. Um, could you tell us a bit about um, that project and how it came about? 
<laughs> yeah. Yeah. So this is switching gears a bit. Um, and clearly you've done research on me. <laughs> um, but yeah, this project, unsurprisingly, it actually came out from looking after a special needs patient, of course. Um, so the context behind this project was that there's been NDIS support for people with disability to then be able to move out of large institutions to then live in the community. Mm. And this is really great and a really wonderful step forward, <clears throat> sorry, for them to be included in society because this gives them so much more choice in how they can live and work and play. So, but what, what happened when this NDIS funding came in was it also highlighted the physical barriers that still exist because many people with disability ended up being left homeless because there aren't enough houses built to be accessible for wheelchairs. And this was one of the case for one of my patients who uses a wheelchair um, because he was in a car accident. He was one of those people that was left homeless. And I heard that his sister was building him a house from scratch out of her own pocket. And I remember feeling so moved by that sister and her incredible love for her brother. But it also, like, kept me awake that night because I was thinking, but what about all the other families out there that can't afford to build a home? How will they find a place to live? And so I decided that I would build one. Um, and it took a long time for this little seed and this idea to grow and come to fruition. But three years later, um, I self-funded the construction of a universally accessible facility for people with disability to live with carer support in the community. And, you know, a lot of people, when they hear of this project, they, they think, oh, it seems a little bit out of your scope of a you know, as an oral healthcare professional, uh, you know, houses, building houses, to link. but it actually really links back to helping increase access to oral healthcare. Because one of the things that you'll hear me say a lot is my philosophy of looking after my patients is that I don't just look after the teeth, I look after the person the teeth belong to. Mm. So if my patient doesn't have a home to live in, how will they ever prioritise coming to see me as their dentist? Mm. And so this is exactly the reason why I'm such a strong advocate for inclusion mm. as the solution for oral healthcare access. Um, have either of you heard of Maslow's hierarchy of human needs? No, actually, no? I've never heard um, that. Yeah, I can send it to you so you can include it in the show notes um, because I'll try to explain it though. So Maslow outlines this five-tier model of human needs in a pyramid and from the bottom of the hierarchy upwards the needs are uh, physiological which is food shelter clothing and then above that safety which is employment health security and then love and belonging needs um, so friendship family then esteem and then self-actualization at the top which is their desire to become the most they can be so basically the needs lower down in the hierarchy needs to be met before people can then start to attend to the needs higher up. Mm -hmm. So at the base of the pyramid, humans' physiological need of shelter needs to be met, i.e. they need to have a home before anything else above that can be addressed, and that includes their oral health. So ultimately, I believe that inclusion is the solution because including people with disability in society is needed first in order for them to then access their basic rights like oral health care. So hopefully that made sense because I think it would be easy if there's actually the image that they can look at with the, um, with the pyramid in there. Mm, mm. No, but that makes sense. Yeah, like, like, um, like even when I had like, uh, like, I think I had some dental pain. It was like, it was a bad week for me, honestly, because I was also that week, I was like close contact, had some dental pain and like, I couldn't focus on anything. Oh my gosh. Like, like I just like, that's, that definitely makes sense. Like if you don't have that foundations, how can you build up from there? And it just, it's so sad because like, there's so many people, like 50% of people live with a chronic illness. Mm. So like, so like, that's just like, if, and then one in six, is that correct? Like, uh, just one in five one people in five. living with a disability. Yeah, I'm living with a disability. So then, if that's like they, if society doesn't include them, if society doesn't like develop themselves and change to include them, they can't have like so many of the things that we are so privileged 
like to exactly uh, yeah so that's why more and more so you can see how i'm looking very broadly and my in, my advocacy is not just about oral health care it's actually about inclusion mm-hmm. first because oral health care fits into that mm-hmm. so yeah so now now hopefully it makes sense why you know the the facility was actually just part of my dental mission yeah, absolutely. Okay, so if we sidestep a bit in back into oral health, yeah. Um, so as part of your research, you developed like a referral tool to increase access um, mm. for to oral health care for those with special needs. So can you tell us a bit about this research and what inspired you to conduct it? Mm. Yeah. So s- starting with the inspiration, um, <clears throat> the inspiration for this project came from understanding that something we've already touched on that that one of the biggest barriers that people with disability face in getting access to oral health care is actually finding a dentist who is willing and able to help them. And there is a huge undersupply of special needs dentistry specialists in Australia. So there's only 24 specialists in Australia compared to 4.4 million Australians living with a disability and then the 47% of Australians living with a chronic medical illness. So when you look at those stats, it's really clear that such few specialists can't address that entire huge need. And the other thing we know is that people with disability are all very diverse and unique. They all have different levels of complexity and needs. We can't lump them all into one category. And in fact, we have statistics that show that only 5.7% of Australians are actually living with a severe disability. So I saw a potential solution as we need to find a way to identify those patients that have the most complex needs Mm -hmm. so that they can be referred to our very small specialist pool while the patients with those less complex needs could then be managed by a general dentist or a dentist who has been upskilled in special needs industry. So then based on that, my thesis investigated a tool that has been implemented in the UK. It's called the British Dental Association Case Mix Tool. And we wanted to see whether it could be applicable to be used in the South Australian public oral health care system. So it basically has these six criteria, which then help to create um, a score which measures the level of complexity for providing dental care for a person. And some of these criteria include ability to cooperate or their ability to communicate and their medical status. And the results of my thesis showed that this tool could closely replicate a similar complexity assessment completed by another specialist that did a um, triaging um, complexity assessment in 2016 with a very high level of accuracy. So that was great news. And now we are looking at pioneering an Australian version of that tool to be used in South Australia. In fact, this year I did training for the dentist to start using it um, last month and now we're going to do a pilot. And hopefully one day we can start to implement this across all the other states in Australia as well. And this would go a long way in helping to create an inclusive society where every person can access the oral health care they need. Yeah, absolutely. And this sounds like it addresses, like, the inclusion. Like, Mm. if patients have to, you know, take time off or find a carer to take them to the Adelaide Dental Hospital, that can be another obstacle as well. Exactly, yes. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. Mm. Oh, my God. Yeah. Okay. Okay. In addition to all of these projects, I think you've also said in other interviews that one of your hobbies was volunteering. Yeah. um, Could you just tell us a bit about your volunteering experiences and also what you've learned from them? Yeah. See, I I can see you guys did a lot of (laughs) (laughs) Um, Well, like, I guess I've done a lot of volunteering, but for this this interview, I'll I'll focus on the dental related ones. Um, So I've done quite a bit of volunteering in the dental sector specifically including trips to rural and remote communities with the Royal Flying Doctors and also some overseas dental aid trips. And I highly recommend for all dentists to get experience volunteering in underserved communities because what I found is that it really helped put in perspective some of the things that we could take for granted in our working environments. So, um, you know, things like resources, infection control, the oral health literacy of our patients. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I know I certainly don't complain about my first world problems nearly as much now after I went on those trips. Um, and I just found that volunteering 
my dental skills was so rewarding and some of the most memorable experiences of my life has come from the volunteering trips I did in Cambodia. So like one that really sticks out is in 2017. Um, man, that feels so long ago now. <laughs> um, I went on my second dental volunteer trip to Cambodia where I cared for people that were orphaned because of their disability. And for the majority of the patients that I was looking after, it was the first time that they had seen a dentist in their entire life. And this experience not only changed the lives of those children that I was looking after with disability, but it also really changed mine because this really cemented my conviction to dedicate my career to helping people with disability after seeing so much stigma that exists across the world um, to the point where they are orphaned and not made part of their family because of their disability. So it was like the following year that I actually started my specialist training. And after learning about the stigma and negative biases against disability that exists not only in Cambodia, but in Australia as well, it has really, yeah, propelled me forward to become an advocate for inclusivity because we need to break down the stigma against disability within our profession so that more people are willing to then step up and share the care. I think that really ties in with what you were talking about before about inclusion, how like and it seems to be um, even um, like the same, if not worse, in like underserved communities where they're not being like they're being excluded to the point where they're even orphaned. So, yeah, that's, yeah, that's really sad to see. I would imagine. Yeah. yeah. And as I said, like that was really life changing for me because then I just knew. I was fully committed. I mean, I was, I think I was pretty committed to special needs dentistry before that, but that just really showed me that this is what you are meant to do and this is what I'm going to dedicate myself to. Yeah. So just working as a um, special needs dentistry specialist, um, do you have any like particular tricks or tips on how yeah. to manage some of like your special needs patients? Like, for example, those with like head or neck cancer or psychiatric conditions or just anything really? Yeah. Um, special needs dentistry is so broad. So um, I would, I'll, I'll start to broad principles, but I would say that every person really needs a very tailored approach because every person's so different. Um, so as a general rule for all patients that I look after, I have these two personal mottos. So first one is never treat a stranger. And then the second one is remember that you're treating the person, not the teeth. So whenever you're treatment planning for a person, I think it's really important to be cognizant of the fact that the dental chart and the radiographs only provide information for one snapshot in time. It's really important for us to find out where has this patient come from? Where is this patient now? And then where is this patient going? So that we can provide a tailored plan which helps them get the best long-term result possible. So it's really important to look beyond the teeth to considering all the medical, social and financial factors that then would affect their oral health and how they can actually access care. Um, the next principle I would say for looking after special needs patients in general is working within a multidisciplinary team. Really make sure that you liaise with the medical team and allied health professionals as well, like physios, occupational therapists and speech pathologists. Um, nutritionists as well, because there's such a big link between nutrition and oral health. Um, seek advice from colleagues and get a lot of different perspectives on your cases. Involve their family members and also the support networks of the patients as much as possible. Get as much collateral information from other sources as you can, especially when it relates to their medical history, because a lot of patients may not self-report that information as accurately as the medical experts. And especially patients who rely on others, such as carers, to report that information, then you might get some inaccuracies that then affect your dental care. So the more that you know about the person, the better you'll be able to provide them that tailored care that really meets their needs. Um, and, you know, going on from that, I would say in terms of like the approach, like be really open and willing to learn from every patient that you look after. See it as every person being a new opportunity to become a better clinician. 
And I really recommend reflecting on each day, on what you did well, what you might do differently next time, and then speaking to your colleagues and having a mentor to speak about these things so they continually to improve what you do. Um, and reflect and be intentional in building not only your technical skills, but also the soft skills. So, or what I used to refer to with my students as the hidden curriculum. That includes your empathy, your rapport building and your communication. These skills are just as important as the technical skills mm-hmm. because remember that communication is something that we can continually continue to get better at. You know, communication is about you helping that patient understand the message that you're trying to convey. So, it should be tailored in a way that allows that person to understand. Sometimes, especially with people who have sensory or cognitive impairments, they might communicate in a way that you're not really used to. Um, But I believe that every person is always telling you how they think and feel. You just need to learn how to tune into how they are doing so. It might be through their body language or their eyes. Then once you learn how they communicate, you then can adopt that same communication and that language when you are trying to convey something to them. Um, But in terms of like more specifics, like you mentioned head and neck cancer. um, So it's like some broader things that you can be aware of. And I would say that this applies to any person who have complex medical issues or anything that causes immunocompromise. Um, I would suggest you need to consult with the medical team very closely or with a special needs dentistry specialist before any invasive procedures. So this includes any procedure that causes bleeding. So surgical procedures, extractions, surgical restorations um, and cleaning as well. So a lot of people think, oh, a scale and clean can't hurt. But in these patients that have issues with healing, um, a scale and clean can actually be an issue because of their risk of not healing well. Um, and then another broad thing to keep in mind is that for people who have dysphagia, so swallowing difficulties, and this can include people with disability, people who have strokes or certain types of throat surgery, remember that their risk of developing aspiration pneumonia is really high. And so the risk of inhaling dental plaque, calculus, loose teeth is actually a really important consideration. So taking measures to help reduce their risk of aspiration during a dental procedure that has water spray, such as an ultrasonic clean, is really important. So again, showing you that, oh, a simple scale and clean isn't that simple at all in an at-risk patient. So I definitely recommend liaising with a speech pathologist or with a special needs industry specialist for advice in those cases. Um, another broad group of patients, which is becoming very, very relevant in our ageing society is elderly patients. Um, so I would say for those patients, be really aware of unreported renal and liver issues because they can cause immunocompromise, healing issues, bleeding risk, um, and also you may need to rec- um, do some dose alterations to their prescription medications. Um, and for patients that have a history of falls, be really diligent in checking for their history of anti-resorptive medications, which can cause EMRONG or medication-related osteonecrosis of the jaw. A lot of elderly people end up in hospital after they've had a fall and then the doctors give them a prolia injection before they're discharged, but they won't necessarily remember to report it to you because it's so infrequent and also during their hospital stay, they may have had so many other things going on that they forget that they got this prolia injection. Um, And then the other thing I would say is like going back to basic principles, I would say that is for any patient, but especially for special needs patients, place a lot of emphasis and importance in making sure that the person has informed consent. So the criteria being that they have the ability to understand the relevant information, to retain the information, to weigh the considerations and then communicate their decision. Remember that consent is decision specific. So that means that a person might have capacity to make a simple decision, which carries like, you know, no irreversible consequence like an examination, but they may not necessarily have um, the consent capacity to consent for a complex treatment plan, which carries high risk of irreversible and long-term consequences like multiple extractions. So make sure to liaise with their GP and medical team if you have any doubts about this. And then 
for patients that have the capacity to self-consent, think about how you can help them make an informed decision that's best for them. If the decision isn't time sensitive, then give them that time to consider. Give them a second consult so they can take away that information you've given them and then bring it back to you to discuss after they've talked to their family about it. And I really recommend having a systematic process by which you make sure you cover off all the things they need to be able to make the best decision possible for them. So when you discuss the treatment options and the rationale, um, you know, explain things like what is the risk? What is what could this risk result in? What is the likelihood of this risk to occur? What is the consequence? And then what can we do to mitigate the risk? They need all of this information to be able to make a decision that's in their best interest in the long term. And I would say that it's also really important that you give them the time and space to ask questions. Um, I'm always trying to think very carefully about how I can communicate and consciously create this safe space for patients to ask me things. So this is what, when it comes back to empathy, really put yourself in the place of the patient. You know, a lot of patients, they actually feel quite self-conscious or they feel silly asking medical professionals and dental professionals questions because they think that it reflects on their intelligence or that you're, they're wasting your time. So, for example, like listen to the difference between asking, you know, at the end of a consultation, do you have any questions versus if I ask and say, I know that's a lot of information to take into account. What questions do you have for me? So asking it in that way really invites them and creates that safe space to say, you know, you have permission to ask me questions because I'm expecting that you're going to have questions for me. You know, that makes all the difference between someone deciding I need to know this to make a proper decision versus not. So this is where I believe that that constant reflection on your soft skills, you know, how you make a person think and feel is such an important part of being a patient-centered clinician. Um, and then when I think of like a lot of special needs patients that general dentists will probably face in their career um, is patients that have dental anxiety and phobia. <clears throat> so my advice to, to looking after them would be that it really comes back to just listening and seeking to understand them. People with dental anxiety or phobia, they've developed it for a good reason. So don't discount it and invalidate their feelings by denying it or minimizing it or dismissing it. This sends the message to them that their subjective emotional experience is inaccurate, but every person has the right to feel what they feel. So it's not about trying to rationalize away their fear. It's about being with them and helping them understand why it's there and then supporting them through it. And a lot of them, they don't want to feel afraid especially if they're coming to see you. You know, the fact that they've come to see you means that they've recognised it's something that they want to or need to address. And so start by acknowledging that strength and helping them build this belief and self-efficacy in themselves. Don't label these patients as difficult. You know, helping a person overcome their dental anxiety or phobia can actually be some of the most rewarding experiences that you'll have in your dental career. Yeah, sorry, I, I kind of went on a lot there. But, um, yeah, basically those would be the main principles I can think of and the main categories of patients that you might come across. Like I think um, a lot of people think that like, oh, like as dentists, all we like all they do is just like look at teeth and it's like, oh, why do I have to tell my dentist my entire life story? <laughs> or why do they need to know that like I have liver disease or something? And like, yeah, I think... Um, like, it's, it's really important to really, like, know the whole person and, yeah, because it really, like, it's kind of like, well, the mouth is obviously part of the body and, mm. like, yeah, like, everything just ties in together. So, it's really, like, I really, like, agree with you and that, like, yeah. you really do need to know the person and, yeah. And I think it's, like, easy for us as students too to just, like, kind of, like, because we're so used to seeing teeth. Like we're just so used to, we just focus in on the radiographs and on the teeth and then, like, it's just hard to, like, tie it all in with, like, oh, the stress levels or, like, the histories or, like, social history and all that. But, like, it's, it's really important because mm -hmm. it all plays a factor in, like, the oral health and stuff. So, yeah. 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 Ye
Yeah, absolutely. And that's a great point that you raised where like sometimes um, patients may not understand why you, you need all this information. So I also tend to let my patients know why I'm asking certain questions. So yeah, a lot of patients won't know that if they have liver issues, then that might cause bleeding issues inside the mouth. And that's why we need to know about that. And so I do a lot of patient education. And I do, um, <clears throat> you know, when it comes to some of the social factors as well, I will help them link and say, oh, well, the reason why I'm asking about um, you know, your, your employment is because, and then I'll help them make these links about how actually your teeth um, is actually a really important part of you being able to get a job, you know, in society. Like I have a lot of patients that they've been unemployed for years because they're so self-conscious about going to a job interview without their their smile. Um, and so that's led to the financial burden, which then, of course, that directly affects their ability to access oral health care because now they don't have the, the money to then prioritise coming to see a dentist. So... You know, I will very, very frequently tell my patients like, oh, you know, this is how it links back to how I can provide the best care for you. Um, and that's also when you and sometimes I will say to my patient, like, you know, um, this is my philosophy. I never treat a stranger because I think it's really important for me to look after you and not just the teeth. And, uh, you know, in, in my experience, there's no patient that can really say no to that. <laughs> like. No one's ever going to argue with you about, oh, this person actually, this, this dentist actually cares for me, <laughs> not just about fixing my teeth and then getting me out the door. So, yeah, I think it always comes back to making sure that you're looking after the person. Yeah, absolutely. Like, that's what I've enjoyed so much in fourth year, like, just having the opportunity to get to know patients. Like, oh, like I, don't, I don't really care if I, like, oh, debrided quadrant <laughs> four really well or whatever. Like, it's more of, like, actually getting to know them and being, like, and just, yeah, like, helping them and understanding their situation. That's what's so enjoyable. Yeah. And, yeah, like... Yeah, Delina and I were talking about it, like how, how sometimes tutor checks can take a while, but that's actually such a great opportunity to get to know your patient and actually being like, oh, picking up on this one thing and being able to investigate it a bit further. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's so great. Oh, you might be a good special needs dentistry specialist. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> okay. <laughs>